0: Welcome to episode 51 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Katie Horgan. She is a Marine Corps veteran. She served six years in the military as a Marine Corps officer before transitioning out of the military to go to business school, and now she is an entrepreneur of her own right. She created the Veteran-Owned Collective, and that's how Katie and I got connected initially. She pushed me to set goals for 2019, and I was looking back at the goals that I set in January before I had launched the podcast, and my podcast wasn't really on my goals except to launch it and to still tell 52 stories of women, which I have both accomplished. I have already shared over 52 stories of women, including the book and the podcast and I didn't expect the podcast to take off the way that it did. So I was hoping to grow my blog more this year, but instead the podcast has over 8,000 downloads so far, and my big goal is to hit 10,000 by the end of this year, and I'll be really close to doing that if things continue to go the way that they are. So I'm really thankful for Katie pushing me to set some really big goals, and for meeting a lot of them and readjusting the ones that didn't quite pan out the way I expected. So I'm excited for you to hear Katie's story because I think you'll learn a lot about what it means to not only be a Marine, but to be a woman Marine and to serve in different types of capacities overseas. She was both deployed to Iraq and she was on a ship with the Navy and she just has some pretty cool stories and i'm excited for you to listen to this week's episode you are listening to the women of the military podcast where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives i'm your host military veteran military spouse and mom amanda huffman My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Katie served in the United States Marine Corps for six years as a logistics officer from 2006 to 2012. She got out as a captain. She served two deployments, one in Iraq and one as a Marine Expeditionary Unit. She left the military in 2012, moved to New York City to attend Columbia Business School. She has worked a series of early-stage startups since getting her MBA. She started her own consulting company, KMH Consulting, in 2018, and she enjoys working for herself. She provides operations, logistics, and supply chain support to early stage companies. She is also working to build the Veteran-Owned Collective, which is a platform and community to connect and empower veteran business owners. She lives in New York City today. Welcome to the show, Katie. I'm excited to hear your story. Thank you for having me. Let's dive in with why did you decide to join the military? Uh, well, I grew up visiting my grandparents
1: uh, in Annapolis, Maryland, and the Naval Academy's there. So, as a kid, I kind of got exposed to the military as an institution, and I, for some reason, always had an affinity for military history, and i was not for sure where that came from. And then I got to college, and I went to an under—I I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, so there wasn't exactly military recruiting uh, at my high school, if you can imagine. Um, so I had no idea what RPC was. I got there, and I realized. What it was because there was someone in my dorm who was walking around in the uniform, and I realized that I could combine, you know, the interest in the military with some financial help, <laughs> and I thought that was a winning combination. So I checked it out, and I initially joined the Navy ROTC. And long story short, I got in there, and I, I looked at the Marine Corps portion of that ROTC program as an elite part of that group. Like in my mind, that was harder, and I wanted to do the thing that was harder, and I wanted to prove something to myself. And so I ended up transferring to the Marine Corps track uh, towards the end of school. So I really just kind of always had an affinity for it. I didn't really know how to express it, though. And then ROTC kind of brought it out.
0: So that's how I got there. You did ROTC with the Navy and you had the option to switch to the Marine Corps. Yeah. Okay. I always tell people that I, I
1: really had no idea what I was getting myself into. Looking back on it, I was 18, 19. I was trying to prove something to myself and I was just very attracted to the like, I mean, Marines are Marines are cocky. They, you know, they, They walk the walk and I, I, you know, they sucked me in. It, it was a great decision though. Like I can talk more about it later, but I spent some time with the Navy and much respect for that branch. But I think that the Marine Corps is just a better fit for me all around. So it worked out.
0: You kind of remind me of myself. Cause like I joined the military and I didn't really know <laughs> what I was doing. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this actually worked out really well. Yeah. Yeah. What does a logistics officer do in the Marines? So logistics can mean lots of different things in the Marine Corps um,
1: for me the section that I got assigned to was motor transport, so motor keys. They actually had a separate designator MOS for that, but they changed it right before I joined. So they rolled it all up into 042 which is like a general logistics officer. So my first job was trucks. So I had a truck platoon uh, and maintainers, and we we ran convoys and provided transportation to support. It can also mean like there's a bunch of other things like air delivery, for example, like the people that kick stuff out of... Uh, of, of aircraft it can also mean providing all of the the services that an infantry unit might need to go forward so for example medical support communication support maintenance support like basically anything needed to kind of keep the keep people fed watered and healthy uh, and moving forward so Lots of different things, but I, I specialized in motor key, And then I, I ran operations for a logistics battalion that provided all those functions I just mentioned, like medical communications, et cetera.
0: Sounds like you were busy. Yes, we were busy. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your deployments. You went to Iraq. Was that the first deployment you went on? Yes, that was actually my first time leaving the United States. <laughs> you sound a lot like me. <laughs> That's really my funny,
1: trip. <laughs> and my, my first time in, and my first time on an airplane with a weapon—probably the last time, hopefully. Yeah, yeah hopefully.
0: Yeah, that's funny because I think I had gone on a cruise to Alaska, and we stopped in Canada, and that was the only other time I had been out of the United ah. States. And then I went yeah. to Afghanistan. Yeah, <laughs> So that's kind of funny. So, what was it like to? A, go on a deployment, but also like, that's your first overseas experience. That's kind of crazy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, again, I, I will say
1: I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I don't think that anything can prepare you like for the responsibility, the the change in like your social situation, like for me, like, so I was an officer and I, I was in charge of, I had a platoon of 37 Marines, like, and for me, like as an officer and also as a woman, like I drew a very straight line between myself and the, the people that worked with me. And so I felt very lonely and isolated. Um, I mean, there were other officers around, but I kind of felt like I had to put this like barrier around myself in order to get through the deployment and also to like do my job and and be, you know, the leader that I wanted to be. So it, it was very lonely. And that's something I never really anticipated. I mean, the time that I deployed, which was 2008, was it was a little bit later than all of the crazy activity that was happening there so I mean we were very busy but fortunately we were not you know having the kinds of experiences that the previous deployments had brought so, so I would say like the loneliness like the the constant work without break is, is just it's taxing mentally you know like we worked nights because we were only allowed to drive at night for the most part for a few reasons so it messes with your sleep schedule. You know, there's never really a day off. So those those things were hard. Like uh, looking back on it, I'm I'm glad that I did that because I I know that I can. Like it built up kind of a mental toughness, and that well, you know, if I can get through this, and because of the unit I was attached to, it was actually a 13 month deployment. So it was January of 08 through February of 09. So it was kind of a long haul. But yeah, it was it was tough.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it would be tough. And you're not the first person to talk about being lonely overseas. Just because as a woman and being an officer. It's hard to like, and being in the Marine Corps, which there's probably not very many women in the Marine Corps, it's hard to get connected Mm -hmm. with other people that you can really rely on. I was really lucky because I deployed with a female civil engineer officer. So looking back, I didn't realize like how much that meant to have her with me and have someone I could talk to. Yeah, and there was I mean, actually, it's
1: its funny because the my counterparts is, is two platoons. My counterpart was also a female, but but we were on different missions. Like we were always going somewhere else. So we did <laughs> I did have someone there. And you know, like you, you see people that you know, like friends, you, everyone's kind of coming in and out. Um, and so I just remember like, because we went all over the place. So we would go to a camp and I would like, you know, realize that somebody was there. I reached out to them and we'd have lunch. And I was just like, you know, just like to hug somebody or like go to lunch yeah. with them and have like an offline conversation where I didn't like I was on It was just very valuable. So there was there was enough of that to kind of keep me going. And obviously we have email, you know, that to Right.
0: Was the hardest part of being deployed the loneliness or was there something else that? I think for
1: me, like I put a very high I have very high standards for myself. Uh, I'm hard on myself. I, and again, looking back on it, like I was, I was a kid. I was 23 years old. I didn't know how to lead people. Like whatever you learn in training isn't going to prepare you for, okay, this person's wife literally just clean out their bank accounts. I need to figure out how to counsel him, get him back home. And like, you know, we've all kind of heard that story, but to actually be the person, you know, and then to be the person who sends a, a team out on a mission that hits an explosive device and have to tell your platoon about that. And then Luckily, everybody was okay, but like having to deal with that and how do you take care of them like, you know, physically and mentally and how do you reintegrate them and get them back out there? Like those kinds of things, I just, I hadn't done any of it before. And so I put a lot of burden on myself to do things correctly, but you know, you just, what does correctly mean anyway? So I, I think I was pretty hard on myself because I wanted to be this this person that I like envisioned in terms of like the Marine Corps officer who was like a leader, a strong person, you know, mentoring people and like also like doing the right things operationally. So that part was tough, but like that continues in my everyday life. So <laughs> I don't know if that was exclusive to the deployment.
0: Do you think the military or the Marine Corps like gave you the tools that you needed to be able? I mean, 23, that's so young. Yeah. And to be leading people in like yeah. just the situations that you mentioned, and I'm sure there are a bunch more. Do you think like you were prepared for that by the Marine Corps? Or I mean, I felt like the military focused a lot on training and not the emotional part. Yeah, I think. There's no substitute for experience. That sounds
1: so cliche, but it's true. Like you, you have to just go out there and have something happen, whatever it is, even if it's like a personnel issue, like how do you deal with this person who's having a marital problem, you know, and, and you're about to deploy like those kinds of things that so you really just have to do it. I will say, and I told many people this over the years, the way that the, I think it's most, I think it's all the branches, but specifically the Marine Corps pairs junior officers with a senior enlisted person, the way that they that dynamic plays out. I was fortunate enough to have there was two or three like senior, you know, E7 to E9 Marines on my deployment that I could go and ask for advice, like in a way that I didn't feel embarrassed, like in a way that I felt I was supported and that person wanted me to succeed. I think that that's not exactly preparation, but it's a tool that helps you kind of get through the stuff you can't prepare for. But I don't know that there's any way. To really train. I think that the Marine Corps, what they do is they instill in you this like absolute need to be a leader, like whatever that means at the time, like just to do it and be this strong person and to present a strong threat. So that kind of stuff, like I kind of walked out of my training with, you know, my head held high and like the expectations for myself that pushed me to work harder. But I, I think that the, you know, that, that senior enlisted relationship was very important for me when I was getting started.
0: Yeah, the senior NCOs are so vital to young officers to be able to make, yeah. you know, they make yeah. it through and make all the mistakes because they can help you and give you really good guidance. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think all the branches. I definitely had a senior NCO that helped me throughout my career in the Air Force. So yeah, invaluable.
1: <laughs> like I'm basically like a little kid. This person's like forty five, and I'm like,
0: "Hey, I'm your new boss." <laughs> right, right. But I think they like they, especially like you were willing to go and get help from them, and so I think they yeah. they enjoy that mentorship type role where they can help graft you and mold you. At least that was the way I felt. Same, yeah, I
1: I agree, and I, I'm so thankful to them. I I must have looked like pretty ridiculous when I walked in there. I had like a lot of baby fat on my face until I was like 25 or so, so I looked like a lot younger, and it was.
0: <laughs> what exactly? Your second deployment was a Marine Expeditionary Unit. What the heck is that?
1: Yeah, so that is a how do I describe it? It's um a ship based prepositioned crisis response force. So the Navy. At any given time, has three ships. There's like two AOs, just like Pacific and Atlantic. And at any given time, there's three ships, three ships from each uh, side of the country that are prepositioned in strategic places. So, for example, if something's going on. If they think something's going to happen in Syria, they might pull the ships within distance of being able to launch an aircraft or or put people ashore. So it's really, it's intended to be a crisis response force. Because something isn't always going on, what we also do is training missions. So we'll pull into a port, we'll, we'll do a bilateral training engagement with the military that's there. So it's kind of a political thing. It's also like a military-to-military you are building relationships. We'll also do humanitarian assistance or missions. So, like, you might do community service and you go ashore. So there's a little bit of hearts and minds, a little bit of, like, you know, bilateral engagements, political stuff. And then what we're really out there to do is respond to things that happen. So, when I was deployed, luckily no, nothing happened. So, what we did was we ended up going around to a dozen countries in seven months. So, we left from San Diego. We went to Singapore, Cambodia. We went to uh, Kuwait, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Thailand, a variety of different places. And we did, you know, a combination of all those things. So the total of seven months on, on Navy ships.
0: So what was it like to be on a ship? It was tough. I, and again, that's another
1: reason why I think I'm glad I did join the Navy. Um, uh, it was it was tough. It was it was easier for me because I was very busy. Like we had a, in you know, a cadence. We had a regular meetings, like I was doing all the planning and coordinating. So like for example, I know we're going ashore to Saudi Arabia. Like my team's responsible for actually putting everything onto the boats, getting in ashore and then providing logistics support to everyone the entire time we're there. So I was very busy. I think some of the junior Marines and sailors had trouble because they didn't really have much to do. There's only so much training you can do while ship. you're afloat so it was it was tough for me in the sense that it was again like you know like a first deployment 24 7 on 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 and the fact that we were not in the same place so I was on one ship my boss was on another my team was spread out between three different ships my capabilities were split out between three different ships and we were at different stages going ashore in different places you know it, it wasn't co-located so it was very it was a lot to keep track of but i I really enjoyed it like it was got to see a bunch of different places we we got liberty in some of the ports which was as an as a as a manager like well as a yeah as, a, as an officer like I had to make sure everyone got back on the ship without getting in trouble so that was stressful but yeah it was it was a it was a pretty cool experience overall
0: yeah you got to see a lot of the world and that's really cool yeah I did so what was your favorite country that you got to go visit when you were on that tour
1: Thailand was pretty great that was that was a really more of a, um, I can't even remember why we stopped there. Like that was on the back end of the deployment. Most of the places we stopped, it was like, we're going here to do this training exercise with this group and like whatever else we're doing. Thailand was on the way home. It was just really great to to go there just like as a, you know, civilian, regular person. We got some liberty. In terms of training, like Saudi Arabia was pretty cool. We actually, uh, we went ashore and came across the beach and like set up on the beach and did a 10 day training exercise with their military, which culminated in like a crazy live fire exercise with in which they were doing crazy things with their aircraft which they weren't supposed to do but we actually set up like uh training uh with certain departments like our explosive ordnance guys met with theirs and did training like our medical team met with theirs and did training um and that was really cool because i got to let the detachment leaders plan each of their training and actually lead it that was cool to see them do that um a camel wandered into our camp on the beach, you know, it was just kind of like one of those things where you're like, am I camping on a beach in Saudi Arabia? Like this is probably something not many other people have done. And it's it's especially memorable because when you're trying to leave, there was really bad sea conditions and the Navy has landing craft that can only operate up to a certain state. I forget what the sea state is. And so we actually our our, our uh, trip got canceled like in uh, our, our trip back to the boat got canceled once twice we were there an extra day or two on the beach we finally get on the landing craft and we're going back to the ship and that was like i was sure we were gonna die i've never seen waves like that before and i was like no control like i I, i'm I'm strapped into this landing craft with like a bunch of other people and vehicles and just kind of like fingers crossed and we actually didn't make it back to the ship we had to go to a different ship that was closer and stay there for a few days because it was so bad so
0: that's that's something i won't ever forget that was one of the scariest (laughs) that ever happened to me crazy yeah it was terrifying that's really cool. Those are cool stories. I love hearing your stories. They're so fun. Yeah, I'm a little terrifying. Yeah, a little terrifying, but um, can't say I'm ever going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Did you face any struggles while serving in the Marine Corps? I I don't know that so much struggles. I I think like looking back on it now,
1: I I think that certain people treated me a little bit differently because I was a woman. But at the time, I it didn't really affect my my ability to do my job. And I felt very supported by the most, the majority of people. Looking back on it, there were a couple of things I was just like, mm, that's really not like the way you should treat someone professionally. Like, but it didn't affect my ability to do my job. I don't think I faced any more struggles than anybody doing that kind of tough work in like a tough environment. So it's fortunate, fortunate there, I think.
0: That's good. Why did you decide to leave the military?
1: A couple of reasons. The first one is I knew I wasn't going to make a career out of it just didn't feel like something I wanted to do for that long for a few reasons. And the second one was around timing. I, I looked at the way that the Marine Corps operates is you usually do what's called a fleet tour and then you do a shore tour. And the shore tour is like recruiting or like you're at of school or something. You're not in like the operating forces where you're deploying. So I had already done two back-to-back fleet tours. And the next step was like to go to a school or recruiting duty or something that was like admin related. And then in theory you would go back to the operating forces. So it would be like, you know, two to three years if I got to go back until I got to go back to do what I had signed up to do. And at that point I just I realized, okay, I'm already at the six year mark. That's gonna put me at nine. And then if I want to go back to operating forces that's twelve. And at that point I might as well just did. And you start making that equation like, how do I get to retirement? Like I'm already halfway through I should say. And so I didn't really um I knew I wasn't going to stay and so I didn't want to put myself in that position. And I also just like the reasons why I joined were to do the things that you see the military doing, the Marine Corps doing, and and that didn't involve recruiting duty or, you know, working at one of the recruit depots or anything. So it just felt like the right time to break ties.
0: That makes sense. So after you do your different tours, the next step was to go and work in like an office job and that wasn't something you want to do. And then, yeah, and then if you stay, then you go back and then you... And then you get to close to retirement, and you're like, I gotta stay because yeah. I'm already halfway there. So yeah, I didn't and it's want re- to put myself in that position. <laughs> and now word from our sponsor.
2: Is your family going to be okay financially if you die? Hey there, I'm Melissa Skir, Coast Guard spouse and experienced insurance agent. As the owner of Insure the Heroes Incorporated, an independent term life insurance brokerage, I help military families past and present as well as the general public put together life insurance plans that fit their needs and budget. Military spouses provide financial value to their families even if they're not working. I encourage them to consider what their service member would do if they died. Securing the right amount of life insurance is how you can protect your home front should you pass away prematurely. is rarely enough to cover your family's long-term financial needs. Also, when you transition out of the military into the civilian world, life insurance shopping will be on your to-do list. Ideally, you want to lock in coverage well beforehand. Remember, life insurance isn't for you. It's for the ones you leave behind. So head on over to my website at insuretheheroes.com for a no obligation quote or to book a complimentary call. If you prefer, you can dial me directly at 844-514-LIFE
0: friends i know the holidays are coming and you're starting to look for gifts for your friends and family i have the best thing for you to get women of the military is a compilation of 28 stories of women who have served or are currently serving in the military through the stories of these women you will learn so much about not only the military but what women have done and how much has changed for women throughout the years. And this book is an especially great gift for women veterans that you know or women who are looking to join the military. But even if you don't know anyone who fits those categories, I think everyone will enjoy learning more about military women through purchasing Women of the Military, available on Amazon. But if you want to make your gift extra special, you can get a signed copy from me. Just send me an email at airmentomom at gmail.com, and I can ship you out your own signed copy of Women of the Military. Let's get back to the show. So what was it like to transition out of the military? Um, it was a lot harder than I expected. And I think this is something that I think the military
1: can do a much better job um, of helping people transition. Like, I know that they can. I, so I was getting ready for my second deployment, the, the MIEU, the Marine Expeditionary Unit. And um, we were going to be deployed from November to June. And I knew, like, my EAS was, like, in August or something. So of that, you know, that year when we were coming back. So I knew that, like, I needed to have a plan before I left. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So I applied to business school. Total shot in the dark. Had no idea. I I was just kind of told, like, this is a great way to, you know, get a degree, build a network, and, like, figure out what you want to do next. I didn't know. So I I just applied. And I I was fortunate enough to get in. So, like, luckily, when I headed out on that deployment, like, two weeks before, I got a call that said, like, you're in. So I knew I was moving to New York. I knew I was going to business school. I put all my stuff in storage. Went into the deployment. And I came back in June. And I moved to New York in July. So it was very quick, short transition. I, you know, like anyone who's deployed or been around someone who's deployed knows that you're like, you know, fun up and like on for 24 hours a day for the entire time for the most part. And then to come back, get out, leave San Diego, move to a new place and then start school was like a lot in a very short amount of time. So I think that was like maybe a slightly different circumstance than some other people. And I showed up at school and I'm, and I just like felt like I was in a fake movie i was like is this real like am i really in this classroom with all these people and and the way that columbia does orientation it's like two weeks of like there's a lot of like icebreakers and like networking and like drinking honestly and like stupid games and and i just it felt so because i i it it takes me a lot it takes a lot out of me to like be on all the time and that's hard for me to turn off and so i basically had like resting space for the first couple of months because I couldn't snap out of it, you know, and I, I just wasn't used to being, like, friendly <laughs> all the time. That sounds weird, but, yeah, so that was, that was kind of hard to do that quick transition and then to go into this environment where it was, like, friendly and everybody was peers. Like, I'd never been around a bunch of peers. I was always, like, few in between in the peer department. And then, like, the first semester, like, I think I was just, like, angry. And a lot of us, like, were, I can't really explain exactly why, but there was, like, 25 vets in my class at Columbia, which is great. And we, after we kind of got to know each other a few months in, we were all like, wow, are you really angry? I'm like, yeah, I'm angry. Like what's going on here? And it was just kind of, we felt a little dissociative, like the things that are important when you get out are not the same things that are important to you when you get in, you know, like who's, who got this job offer, who like got invited to this party or, you know, who like got a, top mark in the class or something it just there's like a dissociative between what I had felt was important in my Marine Corps life and then now what was important in the real world and I think that that caused some anger and frustration you know for myself and other people and so so it it was difficult and like you spend so much time doing what you're told to do like um, playing in the system where you are and then I didn't, I had never stepped back and thought about, you know, what are the things that I want to do for a career? And so it was, it was very much a firehose effect in terms of like, what are the options? Like what's private equity? Like what's a startup? What is consulting? Like who's McKinsey? All of these things you have to learn in addition to like losing your support system and like a system where you know where you stand at all times and like what the rules are. So I would describe it overall as (laughs) dissociative and fast, but I will say that like, The vet community um, at Columbia, there's a huge vet community in New York. Uh, I plugged into that and that was extremely helpful to me during a time that was tough. So I got through it.
0: (laughs) I think that you said in the beginning of your talk that the military could do better. And I Mm -hmm. really agree with that. What exactly do you think that they could do that would help people as they transition? I feel like you got, connected to veteran space a lot quicker than I did. And that probably helped a lot. I mean, honestly, like going to business school
1: was, that was the best possible transition for me because I walked in and there was 25 vets and there was a vet organization, you know, in the MBA program. And so I, at the very least had this community of people that knew what I was going through. You know, we had some commonalities. I think that well, I mean, the the Department of Veteran Affairs is a separate organization. I'm not saying, like, it should all be – I don't think that the military can take on the burden. Like, the active-duty military can take on the burden of taking care of veterans. But there's got to be, like, better, you know, coordination across the systems. Like, the first thing that they should do is is, is revamp – we called it TAFT. It was, like, the Transition Assistance Program. <laughs> yeah. And it was, like, a week or whatever. And it was a joke. It was, like, look at your resume. Like, they didn't talk about LinkedIn. They didn't talk about, like – Veterans organizations. It was awful. I was like, I can't believe these people got a contract to do this, and they're probably making a ton of money. So revamping the TAP program and like, you know, talking to individuals about what, they, like, where are you going? Okay, let's plug you in with this, this, and this. Like at the very least, like, there's some national organization. So most people, wherever they're going, should we should be able to tell them one or two places to go, and at least how to like plug in with you know the healthcare system. So I think it starts with TAPs. There's probably some better coordination that can be done between like Department of Veteran Affairs and like the Department of Defense. Um, and I just don't understand why there isn't a place to connect with people that you served with before. Like it linked, it's kind of like LinkedIn, but like why isn't there that version for the military? So even, even within the military, when you move from unit to unit, you lose those connections and ties. Like unless you are, well, nowadays it's a little easier with social media, but like, There's no continuity, you know, from as you move from from job to job and then once you transition out. So I don't know exactly what the solution is. Like there is – I I think there's a couple people working on this. Like there's some communities out there. I don't really think anybody's doing it well. There's like something about connecting the dots, you know, from place to place. And then once you transition out that like somebody needs to figure it out. Not me, but.
0: (laughs) I learned about LinkedIn, but all I did was make a profile and I didn't really – Understand that there was like this whole, if you transition and you're not on LinkedIn, you need to get on LinkedIn because there's this whole veteran community that's there mm-hmm. like supporting people and you just connect with veterans. It's like, oh, they served in the Air Force Tech, you know, and like, yeah, like this community, because everybody who served together, we want to support each other. And Mm -hmm. I've just been blown away by like the support I've gotten from LinkedIn. And I had a LinkedIn Mm -hmm. account, but I didn't know how to use it effectively. So it's like, it's more than just the profile. It's actually like interacting, getting involved with different veteran organizations on LinkedIn and connecting with people. And yeah, Yeah. I I think it would even be valuable to bring
1: in people to tap that got out like a year or two ago, like, you know, listen, this is what, uh, this is what happened to me when I This is what I wish I knew. Um, this idea of having like some contracted, some, some contractor come in and talk about like career development. I I don't think that's as relevant. Uh, I'm sure it's changed since I got out, but like, there were so many things like after I got out, I was like, really? Like, why didn't anyone tell me about this? And I, I should, I wish that other people, and then I spent, um, you know, even to this day, like I I get contacted by people who are getting out and they tell me, they ask me questions. I'm like, why isn't there a, like a structured way to, for me to provide some information to like the people behind me that are coming out?
0: Yeah, exactly. I agree. I had have, I have the same feeling. I was like, why didn't anyone tell me that this was going to happen? <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, some, some of it you do have to stumble through, but there's like, like, like American, American uh, corporate partners, for example, right. AT, like stuff like that. Like there's a few basic things that everyone should be like, you need to be on this platform and here's why. Here's someone who just went through this. This is how they found it valuable. You know, there's a few things that everyone should get.
0: Yeah. And if you haven't heard of American Corporate Partners, it's a great organization that partners. It's for military spouses and veterans, and it matches you with a mentor. And I'm actually going through it for the second time right now. And my mentor is amazing. So. Awesome. I
1: uh, I had a mentor. That person wasn't actually great. But everyone else I've talked to has had a great experience. It's just like anything else. Like you get matched with somebody. It's a fitter. It's not, you know.
0: My first time, it wasn't it wasn't a good fit because our schedules didn't match. But I was being uh, too nice and being like, oh, no, it's fine. And like the like, lady no I way, talked I to <laughs> at the, booth, the booth was like, so if you do get a part, like if you get matched with someone and like you can't meet up and the times don't work, I would be very honest. They're not going to be offended. And if yeah, they are, you wanna okay. help you. but yeah, you want to mm-hmm. get matched up with the right person because I have a really good mentor this time, and our schedules match, and she can help me. And we, it just is working a lot better. And I wish I had been more honest with the first one. Yeah. I was like, no, this isn't really a good fit. But
1: maybe, maybe I could try again. It'd be nice to to have. Uh, I'm always looking for for professional contacts, like especially people that are more senior to me and have kind of been there, done
0: that, you know. So. Yeah, you should. I would recommend it. And another good uh, veteran mentoring program is Veterati. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you've heard of that one. And so that one I've done a few times and been able to get an hour of counseling with a mentor and just getting pushed in the right direction or direction on where to go. And it's free. ACP is free, too. So I'll put all the links in the show notes. So if people want to get connected, they'll know where to go. So we talked a little bit about your transition, but what are you doing today? Now that you've been out for how long have you been out? Seven, Seven or eight?
1: years. My goodness.
0: Yeah. Uh, actually, just this
1: a few months ago, we passed the mark where I've been out. As long as I've been in, as long as I was in. So now I'm on the other side. While I was at business school, I realized I really wanted to work with small companies. I did a couple of internships like at startups and like people were just who were just building their businesses. And I, I really liked that. So after school, um, I worked at a couple of different startups that were like series A, series B. So like, you know, really just getting started and, and growing really fast. And I loved it. I worked three different companies and I ended up last year leaving the last company and working, starting to work for myself. I am actively working through a couple of business ideas. I've always wanted to start my own business. I've, I've always kind of like had that in me. I think there are all the anecdotes from my childhood. I'm sure, I'm sure that there's a lot that would point to this, but I, I like the idea of being an entrepreneur and working for myself. So I would like to do that. I'm working through some ideas, but in the interim, I am running my own consulting practice. So I just called it KMH Consulting because those are my initials. I think a better name later. Um, and what I do is I work with the same kinds of companies I was looking for full-time. So early stage companies that are selling physical products direct to consumer. I've mainly worked with food and beverage. It just kind of worked out that way. I didn't intend to do that, but there's this huge explosion of brands in the food and beverage base. So it's kind of like the right time and the logistics are catching up. Like you can ship perishable items like the carriers are supporting that and people are used to it. So it's kind of like the right time, right place. So um, I work with these early stage companies that, that need operations, logistics, and supply chain support, but might not be ready for a full-time hire. So I do project-based work or, you know, I'll, I'll step in as like an interim COO type for a few months while they, while they get off the ground. So yeah, it's been fun. It's, uh, it's a learning process. It's a learning process. Like uh, the sales process is something that I'm not good at and I've had to learn. Still working on that, <laughs> but
0: yeah. And we got connected through the veteran-owned collective, right? We did, yes. So, can you talk a little bit about what that is? Sure. Yeah. So the last full-time job that I
1: had was at a company called Selfmade. And and what they were focused on doing was helping small businesses establish a presence on social media and then monetize that presence. And we were mainly focused on Instagram. And I realized while I was there that I didn't know how to use Instagram. Um, and then I was the oldest person there. I was like 33. So I was like the grandma of the group. Everyone's 20, 22. So I, I, I said, hey, like what's an account that I can start that will help me learn how to use Instagram and like, Understand the value that we're providing to customers. So I started an account and I started reposting content from veteran-owned businesses. I was like, I'm a veteran. I like small businesses. Like being a small business is hard, and veteran is a super engaged community. So why don't I kind of put those two together and see what I can do to help veteran-owned businesses get more exposure? So started as an Instagram account, and I just started connecting with more and more businesses and talking to them and hearing what they needed and where the gap, you know, hearing about some gaps in terms of resources and just really realizing that they're the resources that are directed to veterans are kind of like either 1980s, like VA, terrible website, chamber of commerce type resources or like sexy uh, VC style, like pitch competition type stuff. And there wasn't a lot in the middle. If you are a power washing company from San Antonio, for example, you're not trying to be a billion dollar business you're also not gonna get anywhere by going to the Chamber of Commerce, you know, for various reasons. So like what's in the middle. So out of starting this Instagram account and just starting to talk to like lots of businesses that were just honestly messaging me and asking me for help. I just kind of realized that there was a need for a community and a few people working on on things out there, like mainly around like the directory space, like you know, building a list of businesses. And what I'm trying to do with the Known Collective is build not just a, a list of businesses, but also a community that's supportive. Uh, that's collaborative and like shares opportunities um, and can take advantage of opportunities. So the hypothesis is that if we combine forces that we can unlock, you know, additional power, resources and opportunities um, as a community. So I'm, I'm working on that. I'm working on an updated website. We have around 550 members right now. But not much happens after you join other than getting access to the community because the website hasn't been able to keep up. So hopefully in October, we'll have a better website that will enable, you know, more interaction between members and working on a couple other things.
0: But making it up as
1: I go, depending on what people tell me they need and, and what I see.
0: Yeah, it's a great resource. And I really, I really enjoyed being a part of it. Yeah. And I need to get more involved. I didn't even know about the community part. So I'm going oh, to have to get on that. Yeah.
1: We have a Slack community um, and we also have a Facebook group, Slack community. Um, Slack is just a, it's like a chat platform that businesses yeah. use and people are not on there. So I'm already on there for a few reasons. I have a couple different communities, but if you're not on there, it's just another place to go check. And, and, and that's, that's, it's been kind of hard to get people on there. So we, we, we started a Facebook group because people are on Facebook all the time. So
0: I'll send you an invite mm-hmm. to the Slack community. I didn't know you weren't yeah. on there. Thank you. And then I have one last question for you. What would you tell girls considering you can either do joining the Marine Corps or just the military in general? Yeah. So for any girl considering
1: joining the military, two things. The first thing is for me personally, this, that was probably the best decision I could have made. I I don't think that I ever thought that I was really capable of some of the stuff that I did. And it's not easy. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not easy. It's very hard. But it was worth it to me in a sense that I proved to myself that I could do something that was difficult um, in a place where there aren't that many women. And like, even if you, if you're a man or a woman, it's so hard, but there are just, there weren't that many women. So I would say it was like an invaluable experience for me in terms of like personal and professional development. And, and the second one is I would say, understand what you're getting yourself into. Like, I, I mean, think about there, there's the logistics that come along with joining the military, for example, being away from your family, deploying, like the impact it has on, relationships whether you're in one now or you want to start one like that is a real thing so just talk to as many people as you can to try to understand how that's going to impact your life it's it's certainly not a reason not to do it but I think you can make a more informed decision if you understand what what you're going to be asked to do and I certainly didn't understand what what that was really going to be like just as like a side note I again joining so young I don't I didn't fully grasp the impact of of what I was doing to my family. (laughs) I mean, I didn't have kids and I still don't have kids, but like even just my parents, my brother, for example, like that idea that when you join your entire family is serving, whatever that family might be is very, it's very true. Uh, and only now that I'm like a little bit older and wiser, do I realize like what I put everyone through. And that's just like, that's really not a reason not to join, but it was just something that, you know, this is, it's not just you making the decision.
0: Earlier in the, in the season, I interviewed a military mom and she has a book called Be Safe, Love Mom. And my mom's reading it right now. And she was like, she was just like, we actually didn't have to go through that much. Like looking back and hearing all the stories, she's like, we were really lucky, but I don't think she realized like what, what they were doing, like what your family doesn't even realize what they're doing at the time, just the same way that you don't really realize like what the strain of you being deployed is on them and the sacrifices that they make. So I think that's really valuable and really important to talk about.
1: Yeah, my mom said my dad didn't sleep the whole uh, a good night the whole time I was gone. <laughs> that makes
0: sense. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed learning a little bit more about a little bit more about you because I kind of knew who you are, but yeah. I didn't know a lot about what I know. you did, and so it's been really fun. So, thank you so much for being a guest, and that's all I have. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmantomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military.